Well, good morning, everyone. If you have a Bible, let's turn there. That's where we start with the authority of God's Word, right? So um, Luke chapter 5, if you have a Bible. And uh, while you're turning there, let me tell you a story about uh, a lady by the name of uh, Eleanor Whitfield. Eleanor Whitfield was born in Liverpool and grew up in the 1920s. And when she was young, her father died. And she took on the name of her mother, her mother's maiden name, by the name of Rigby. And um, she was assigned really to a, a life at home with um, her sisters. Mum went out to work. Her sisters um, were at home and she spent um, most of her life, if not all of her life, looking after for her two sisters. And she remained fairly, um, you know, lonely, a lonely lady. Her friends had grown up married, moved away, found jobs, and she was left there with um, her sisters. Uh, eventually, um, she did um, marry at the age of 35. She found a husband, got married, and then nine years later, sadly, she died. And it was penned in the famous words of Lennon and McCartney. She died in the church and was buried along with her name, and nobody came, Eleanor Rigby. In the same church graveyard, another gravestone, that of Father Mackenzie, the one you remember who was writing the words of a sermon that no one would listen to. Then the most famous line, famous because it's probably so soul-stirring, all the lonely people, where do they all come from? All the lonely people, where do they all come from? No one wants to be lonely. Everyone wants to belong to something. Everyone fears emptiness. All of us fear that those moments of being alone or loneliness itself. But you know, um, even though we don't like that, that is one of the things that is marked our human existence, loneliness. But it was never intended to be that way. God, right at the beginning, right at the back of Genesis, you'll see that this loneliness isn't how God originally intended life to be. This is what he said. He said, let us, plural, let us make man in our image after our likeness. God himself is an eternal, in an eternal relationship together with himself. That's what we call the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. So when God made man, he said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. He created us like himself as a relational being. He hasn't created us to be lonely. Now, you know the story of Genesis 3 that Adam and Eve uh, walked away from God. They fell into sin. And Isaiah 59 says that one of the things that has marked human existence since then the tangible, real-life reality is that we are now living in separation. That's what Isaiah chapter 59 says. Uh, it says that sin has made separation between you and your God. Don't, don't miss that. That the first fundamental issue of sin and the fall of the way that we live our lives today is that we are living not as we are intended to live, but we are living in separation. 
And because we're living in separation vertically between God and us, we're also living in separation one to another, aren't we? I mean, we don't need to put our hands up to um, get a, a poll survey of how many of us have been hurt in relationships, by relationships, with other people, by other people, or we sadly have been the people who have caused those separate uh, relationships, those problems, those strives. Why? Because of sin. Why? Because we're separated from God. Paul Tripp put it like this. He says, autonomous Christianity never works because our spiritual life was designed by God to be a community project. He saved us from our sin, but he's also saved us into a family, into a community. And that's the really good news, that Jesus has not only saved us from sin, but he's also saved us from solitude. He saved us from sin, but he saved us into something. He saved us into a family of God. And what I want to do this morning is to start to answer this question, what can I bring to the community that I'm in? And what I mean by community, I mean my Christian church community, however do you define that, my Christian community. What do I bring? What can I bring? And I'd like to do that from the most unexpected place right here in Luke chapter 5. So Luke chapter 5, verse 18, just turn there with me. I'm reading from the uh, ESV version, but whatever version you're reading is going to be good. So we read the story of a paralyzed man who, in my imagination, I'm named Keith, um, who has some friends. And this is, how, this is how Jesus opens, or Luke opens with this story in verse 18. Behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed. Now look, there's a whole story before this of how Keith, this, this man, came to be paralyzed. That's not his name, by the way. Don't come up to me after and goes, you probably know his name wasn't Keith, right? I know his name wasn't Keith, right? But like, I kind of just think, like, I, I want to personalize this guy. He's not just a man. This man has got a name, right? So I'm just going to call him Keith because I think that's a cool name. And he's probably got a family. He probably had a family, maybe. He maybe even had kids. We don't know any of that. We don't know how Keith came to be paralyzed. Maybe he just woke up one morning and tingling sensation got worse and worse and worse and worse until one day he just didn't get out of bed. Maybe he had an accident. Maybe he was just working. Maybe that's why he has four friends. Maybe they're all work colleagues. We have no idea. What we do know is that he had four friends. That's what the text, he admits everything and just says, look, the most important thing you need to know is that he now lives horizontally and independent of someone else. He lives horizontally and independently. And I wonder, like, as I, as I try to think about this man, Keith, I, I wonder about all the moments looking straight up into the sky, he, whether he had questioned whether you try to peek beyond the clouds at some point, maybe often, asking why. Look, what do, we, what do we know about this man is that he had some friends. Here's the first thing I think we can think about. I want to give you five things. So if you're taking notes, here's number one. Five things that I think that we can bring to community. Not what we can get from community. I think there's a whole bunch there. There's like a whole sermon series on that, right? But I just think for our hearts, I want to speak pastorally today about what we can bring to the, the communities that we're in. Here's the first one. 
If you're taking notes, make a note of this. Open the door. Open the door. I, I think this is especially true in our post-pandemic kind of society, but look at what the text says next. There at the end of verse 18, some men were bringing him on a bed, and they were seeking to bring him and lay him before Jesus, verse 19, but finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd. Isn't that like one of the saddest verses you've ever read? Read verse 19 with me again. Finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd. The, the crowd in church had their backs turned to those in need. The door was firmly shut. Robin Williams said this. He said, I used to think that the worst thing in life was to end up alone. He says it's not. He says the worst thing in life is to end up with people who make you feel alone. Keith doesn't know what's going on. All he can see is up. All he can see is sky. So one of his friends explains, mate, all the tickets are gone. There's standing room only, but that's a problem for you, I know. The man can hear the disappointment in his friend's voice until one of them to one of them. We've all got a friend like this. I hope we have a friend like this who comes up with an absolutely bonkers idea. Where most of us would have given up right there, right? We'd be like, no tickets left. Let's, let's go back tomorrow, right? One of his friends goes, I've got an idea. Now look, they were so sure that Jesus would heal their friend, they did something ludicrous. You know this story, but just think about the ludicrous nature of what is about to happen. What does it say in verse 19? They went up on a roof. Just like that. That's what they did. They just went up on a roof, right? Still carrying their friend. I don't know how that happens. Like, I struggle to get up on a roof on my own. They, they went up on a roof with their friend, Right? So they went up on a friend, Mark's gospel said that they then dug through the roof. Ludicrous idea? Yes. And they let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. Man, what friends these are. If you have friends like these, you need to thank God for those friends. They are determined, daring, and to the point of rude. Would you agree? Like there's a Bible study going on, and all of a sudden, floating down through the roof, there's this guy. Four friends who put themselves at risk. Four friends who put themselves in danger. Why? Because of their love for Keith. They don't know that Jesus loves sinners. They, they don't know what happens in verse 24. It hadn't happened yet. Uh, they don't know how Jesus is going to react to them gate-crashing his Bible study. Here's our lesson. Make a note of this. Here's our lesson. Hope is more of a reality to them than the fear of failure or the risk involved. Hope is more of a reality to them than the fear of failure or the risk involved. Listen, I know that some of you have wounds this morning. And I know that some of you have wounds because of what other Christians have done. I bear those same wounds. But listen, the moment that we shut the door, 
that becomes a problem for us. And it becomes a problem for our community. Here is a man being carried by friends who he has entrusted his life to. And can I just encourage you this morning, whether you're a carrier of wounds or someone who has wounds seeking to be carried, allow your wounds to be carried by friends. Don't close off your heart to others. I know that is dangerous. I know that is risky. I know that vulnerability is a fragile thing. Like, what if I get hurt all over again? What if Jesus doesn't accept me? What if there's no seats left? What if I just get laughed at? What if? What if? What if I just stay in bed? These man's, this man's friends dared to fail. Their hope in Jesus was more real to them than the risk involved. And, and what you and I can bring to community is this, to the churches that we're part of, to the friendship groups that we're in, is determined vulnerability and hope in God. Determined vulnerability, open the door, but hope in God. Here's the second thing. Again, if you're taking notes, make a note of this. Not only open the door, but close the gap. Open the door, close the gap. Listen to what he says. They went up on the roof, led him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. These friends do for this man what he cannot do for himself. And they close the gap between him and Jesus. Let me ask you boldly. Are you prone to close gaps or increase gaps? Are you prone to close gaps between people and Jesus, or increase those gaps. What do I mean? Well, look, gap increases tend to find all of the ways something will not work. All of the seats are gone. There's no room left. They find all of the ways that something will not work, forgetting that God, our God, is a God of the impossible. Right, listen to how John Hudson put it in his book, Sacred Works, Why the Church Still Matters. This is what he wrote. He said, although people cite their primary reason for attending church as growing closer to God and learning more about him, the Barna group finds such closeness is a rare occurrence. Fewer than two out of ten churchgoers feel close to God even on a monthly basis. That's John Tyson. Here's what gap increases do. Gap increases make a thing of a thing that shouldn't be a thing. Do you know what I'm saying? Like what she wears, what he drives, what they do for a living. Like she has tattoos. It's not a thing. Don't make a thing of a thing that's not supposed to be a thing. You're increasing the gap. Does that make sense? Like how many of us would have critiqued his friends for making a hole in the church roof. Like I would have done. I'm the pastor. I'm like, all I'm thinking of, how, how are we going to fix that? Like, I'm thinking about getting the maintenance team in, right? Listen, if you think a thing is a thing when it isn't a thing, you're increasing the gap. You're making it harder for others to know Jesus. 
Paul Tripp put it like this. He said, we learn to be okay with things we should be confronting. We learn how to avoid things we should be facing. We would rather be comfortable than to hold people accountable. We swindle ourselves into thinking, and here it is, we swindle ourselves into thinking that things are better than they are. And so in doing so, we compromise the calling and standards of God. We say we love and serve. In our communities, we need to say boldly and regularly, this doesn't need to be a thing. We need to be peering across the table to our mates, our friends, our families, and say, that doesn't need to be a thing. Don't let that thing stop you coming to Jesus. So that's the second thing. Close the gap. Third thing. What you can bring to community where you are, carry the weight. Carry the weight. His friends shared the burden. Love the, um, the prayer wall down here on your left. I want to encourage you today at some point to either put a prayer on the prayer wall or to carry the weight of someone else's prayer with you and to go there, read, and move away and pray. Carry the weight. I assume at one point this man could walk, and I assume at one point um, some terrible illness or accident had happened to him, but his friends remained loyal. His friends didn't turn away. Paul wrote to the church in Galatians, he said in chapter 6, share each other's burdens and in this way obey the law of Christ. When are we obeying the law of Christ? When we're sharing one another's burdens. Here is a guy, first century, here is a guy who would have had all of the religious leaders, all of the superstitious nutjobs, saying to him, the reason that you are the way that you are is because God hates you. It's because God has judged you. It's because there's something in your life that's not right. And he has four friends who have said at one point, Keith, I'm going to stand up for you. I'm not going to back away when they say that. I'm not going to be okay with that. I'm going to stand up for you. So let me ask you this. How easy, and I, and I think this is a specific problem in churches up and down the country. How easy is it for you to listen to bad talk rather than stand up to it. Like it's easy, isn't it? Like I'll just say it's easy. I'll just let that go. It's easy. Someone's talking bad mouth, bad mouth in Keith and I'm like, I'm just not going to say anything. I'm going to stand there. I'm just going to be um, a silent approver. You know, I've been watching Keith. You know, and he's, you know the way he's like he is? How, what do you do? Do you stand there and take it? Do you back up? Well, you know, you know, Keith, he has to be carried around like a baby all the time. What do you do? Is it easy to let that go? Is it easy to let that go or to stand up to it? Is it easier for you to say, I'm not backing up anymore. I'm going to defend what is right. I'm not going to give an ear to that. I'm going to be a, a loyal friend. Listen, fourth thing. Time is running away. Fourth thing, fourth thing we bring to community is that we practice relational health. That, 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 this is a Bible study in and of itself. But let me just say, verse 20, look at it with me. In verse 20, when Jesus saw their faith, he said, man, your sins are forgiven you. 
man, your sins are forgiven you. For years, this man probably wrestled and thought, Lord, what have I done that your stroke has fallen on my life? What have I done? And so now he comes face to face with Jesus. And his question is, how will Jesus answer? What is Jesus going to say to me? Well, it's, um, it's Matthew in his account, in Matthew's gospel. Apparently, he was there, Matthew. And um, he writes that Jesus said to him, before he said, man, your sins are forgiven, he said, son, take heart. Son, be encouraged. We, we should let that encourage us this morning, right? We should, we should let that kind of flow over us for a moment this morning. Son, take heart. Your sins are forgiven. Look, we live in an increasingly relationally polarizing world, don't we? A time when language is weaponized. A time when our friends are based solely on the things that we agree with. A a time when conflict resolution is often taken online. It is brought before the court of public opinion before it's actually addressed in person. Oftentimes, our instinct, when there is relational hurt, is to strike back. Maybe not verbally, but certainly inwardly, rather than reconcile. And listen, one of the things that is going to mark your community and my community as being different from all other communities is the ability to practice relational health by doing what the Bible calls Forgiveness. Forgiveness. How forgiving are we? I'll leave that one with you. Verse 21. The scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Now note lastly, the fifth thing we bring to community is this. We bring them to Jesus. We bring people to Jesus. In the very act of bringing this man to Jesus, his friends are imitating Jesus. The one who opened his heart knowing that he would be betrayed. The one who opened his heart knowing that he would be abandoned by his closest friends. The one who closed the gap by coming to the earth to make the impossible act of forgiveness a reality. The one who carried the burden of sin for the entire world. The one, the Bible says, who is right now standing at the right hand of the Father and lifting us up, intercessing for us. He says to you, this morning, and he says to me this morning too, your sins are forgiven you. That means that past, present, future, sin has been dealt with. Listen, that, that, that you have no sin, past, present, or future, that has more power 
than the cross. Which means it doesn't matter how this man came into the house. Because God can rescue. God can save. God can set this man right. And he can set you right this morning. And you may have friends that have brought you to the festival. Thank God for those friends. You may have come alone, but God doesn't want you to stay alone. God has created you for community. God has created you to be in relationship, not only vertically with him, but horizontally with others. And let me just say this. The church can't do that. Creation Fest can't do that. Only Jesus can do that. The church can't do it. It might try to do it, but it will fail. Your friends can't be Jesus to you either. Only Jesus is Jesus. And so come to Jesus. And my, um, my encouragement to you this morning Don't just sit there. Don't be carried by a former life that was marked by relational difficulties, strife, struggle, insecurity, loneliness, failure, the inability to walk right. Rise, pick up your bed, walk, know today that if you confess your sins, the Bible says he is faithful and just to forgive your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Let's bow our hearts. We're going to close out in a couple of songs. I want to encourage you this morning. We have the prayer wall. If you want to respond by asking for prayer, or you want to respond by praying, they're equally great things to do. If you've been in a place where you have just struggled relationally, maybe you have gone from church to church to church to church, And quite frankly, you're a little burnt out with church. Can I say to you, rise, stand up, take up your bed, walk. God hasn't left his people. God still is working today. And so, as we pray, prayer team are right here down on your right-hand side, and you want some prayer or you want to use the wall to come and pray for, this is a great time to do that as we come before the Lord. Father, we thank you. Lord, that you place orphans into families. Lord, you give us friends, communities to love and be loved. And Lord, we want to confess this morning that many of us have been hurt, wounded. Some of us are still laying on the bed 
because of what has happened sometimes in church, sometimes in Christian community. Some of us are still struggling with the scars of those wounds. And Lord, we we know that you are the only one that can help us with those. So Lord, we want to say we come to you again afresh. Lord, it's a scary thing to make ourselves vulnerable, to climb up on that roof. Lord, but we come, Lord, bearing the weight of our own struggles, the weight of our friends. Lord, the weight of our own guilt and shame, the weight of our own failure. Lord, and we want to declare again, Lord, thank you that you have forgiven us of our sins. And you give us the power today to take up our bed, the very thing that we used to rely on as our identity. You've said, take it up, start walking. Lord, so today we rise. We rise, we take up the bed, Lord, and we move out into a freedom that you've given us for your glory. Lord, help us, we pray. Lord, help us in our communities to open the door, to carry the weight. Lord, to practice relational health one to another. Lord, but more importantly, our own hearts, Lord, would be drawn to the one who has saved us, to bring others to you. Lord, to be the very imitation of Christ in this place. Lord, we ask for your glory and in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.